Hi, this is Gary Washburn, pastor of Grace Tabernacle. Thank you for tuning to our podcast today. Our hope is that this message inspires you and builds your faith. For more information about Grace Tabernacle and our ministries, please go to gracetab.org and like us on Facebook. Now, may the message feed your soul. Thank you, Brian. Amen. I want you to know I love you, brother. I appreciate you so much. I love what you said. Thank, Thank you. you. It came out of your heart, a pure heart. God bless you. You're such a blessing to all of us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for putting up with Karen so patiently. <laughs> I'm just repeating what he told me before church. I thought everybody knew. No, she told him. She looked over and told him. Said, He's blessed more than he knows. <laughs> oh, thank you, brother. Appreciate that. I don't know that I'll use it, but we'll be ready for it either way. Uh, I want us to have prayer for uh, a couple of folks. Uh, uh, Tri Hall is one of our uh, elders, and she has a daughter, Letitia. And Letitia is in uh, Shan's hospital. She had surgery today to remove a tumor, not a cancerous tumor, but on her brain. And uh, so um, that surgery went well. She's going to have to have several more surgeries. So we want to pray for Tri Hall's daughter named Letitia. And she's a mom, and she's got uh, children and uh, teenage boys, and we want to pray for her. But we also want to pray for someone right here in this house, Mindy. And Mindy is uh, going to have surgery next, a week from Thursday. And she has a tumor that's going to be removed as well. And so it's uh, always serious surgery. So uh, those of you who are close enough, like right here, just lay your hands on Mindy and Dan. And we're going to pray for them as well as for Letitia. And Letitia's not here, but we want to pray for Letitia and for Tri for peace as well. So let me just lead you. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the power of prayer. It's more powerful than we realize when we use the power of attorney in Jesus' name because you said if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it, that the Father will be glorified in the Son. And if we ask in accordance with your will, God, and your word is your will, it is your will that we be in health and we prosper. It is your will, Father, for us to be uh, healthy here and, and live out our days in health without sickness, without tumors. So, Lord, in the name of Jesus, as Jesus is our model, as he spoke to the fig tree and he cursed it because it was not fruitful like it should have been, and it dried up from the root. Lord, we speak to these tumors to in Lutetia, and we speak to the tumors in Mindy right now in the name of Jesus, and we curse the tumors. They're not to be there. And we speak to these tumors to be uprooted, to dry up from the root and be expelled from the body and without harm or damage to one single good cell in them. We claim the victory and the healing that Jesus has already bought and paid for at our salvation on the cross. By his stripes we are healed and we, we claim healing and we claim freedom from these things and any tormenting thoughts the enemy would like to include with that. We bind the devil in Jesus' name and thank you 
for our healing and thank you for, for the blessing. We believe, we trust, we relax. And we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Good to be part of a praying church. House of prayer. I don't know what this is, but this somebody's left something here. It looks like a candy necklace. Is that for me? <laughs> you remember those necklaces, you candy that you used to get as kids, and you wear them and you'd sweat and it'd drip all down through your nasty. And you ate them. <laughs> you didn't sweat. You ate them too fast. Oh, wow. <laughs> hey, uh, a little boy wanted $100 very badly, and he prayed for weeks, and nothing happened. $100. Then he decided to write, a, write God a letter requesting $100. When the postal authorities received the letter to God, they decided to send it to the President of the United States. So the President was amused, at, and he instructed his secretary to send a little boy a $5 bill, figuring that this would appear to be a lot of money to a little boy. The little boy was delighted with the $5 bill, and he sat down to write a thank you note to God, which read, Dear God, thank you very much for sending the money. However, I noticed that for some reason you sent it through Washington, D.C., and the government deducted $95 in taxes. Makes sense. Have you heard about the revival breaking out in Asbury? If you haven't, I'd like to know what planet you're on because it's going on and it's been going on. 1972, there was a revival, student-led revival, and uh, were you there? Did you go to it? I didn't go. I was saved. I was part of it. 72? 1973. I was 73. Awesome. At Asbury College in Kentucky, then there was a 1972, I think there was a revival, student led revival. And um, what happened uh, was that. Um, the normal chapel services they have there at Asbury, the Methodist College, uh, the, uh, a student asked to speak to, uh, spontaneously to the student body and the, and the faculty. And so he was given the microphone, thought he was going to give maybe a one or minute or two minute testimony. And he began to be very transparent. And he stood there and started confessing sin in his life, how he had cheated on exams, and how he had done this, and done this, and done this, and just was so transparent. It was shocking to the whole student body and the faculty that this guy was honestly pure-hearted, and he was real and transparent and repenting before the whole college campus. He sat down. It was a somber moment. Another student got up, took the microphone. He started confessing his sins honestly, openly, transparently. And then another one. And then a faculty member. And another. 
and another. And the chapel service that was supposed to be 30 minutes went on for an hour, then two hours, on and on into the evening. The presence of God was so thick, so tangible, no one wanted to move. And it went on for several days and nights until people in the community heard about it, and then it became nationwide and broadcast on the news. This happened in 1972. We call it revival. It lasted for several weeks, I think. And then it spread, I think, also to some other campuses and so forth. So the same type of thing seems to be happening again at this special spot. And we call it revival. Do you know what revival is? Revival is the church. See, it's not, it's not an evangelistic crusade where lost people are getting saved, although that, that certainly can happen. But it's, it's like this. Let's say, you know, the church has a beginning, you know, in the book of Acts. Let's just say uh, the book of Acts. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, Acts chapter 1. Uh, I've got to get one that works. <laughs> These things dry out. Acts chapter 1. And the church begins. Jesus... Jesus came down, he did what he was going to do on the cross, he was buried, he was raised again, he went up, and then the Spirit came down upon the church, and we call that Pentecost. So, the book of Acts is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And so, that first generation, you know, then there was persecution and things happened, and then the, the church had uh, sin and problems in it. Ananias, Sapphira, God's very detailed in showing us, you know, the, the life of the church and things like that. And so the first generation, let's say, dies out. And then you have another generation that comes on. And they have some compromises and from the world and things like that. And, and they're not doing exactly everything like the first church did. And then you have, an, they die out, another generation comes, and another generation comes. And over a period of time worldliness and sin and things creep in the church and we're we're far away from our first love so revival when revival really happens revival is the repentance of the saints it's when the church gets right with god the church who's supposed to know god the church who says we know god but the church has gotten away from its roots. It's gotten away from truth and it's compromised. So revival is nothing more than the church returning to its first love. Does that make sense? It's a revival of repentance. You know it only takes one person to start a revival. One person who will be honest enough with God and transparent and not have fear of man and they'll stand up and they begin to confess their sins out, outwardly, openly, publicly and asking God for his mercy which he's rich in mercy and ready to give and that's what started Asbury Revival it wasn't preaching it wasn't music it was a person repenting we could have a revival right now that it would go on through the night, through the week. We wouldn't be able to shut it down. It can happen at any moment. At any moment. When the people 
have more fear of God than they do fear of man. Thank you, my brother. You're very kind. So <clears throat> I hope those of you uh, watching it online, if you can't see that, it was uh, just how we have deviated. And when revival comes, it's just simply returning back to our first love. That's all it is. That's what revival is. So when we're praying for revival, you need to know what you're talking about. You're talking about returning to our first love. There's a lot of things going on, not just Asbury, but there's other campuses. There's a revival going on, it seems like, among young people. And, and not only that, not just young people. You know, it, there's, just, there's just sparking of revival all over. I have in my hand... Uh, these things, uh, handouts, I'm going to give you one. Uh, Mario Murillo, if you're familiar with him, he's, he's a dynamic evangelist, a guy by the name of Lance Wall now. Uh, I've, I've never met either one personally, but I do like Mario Murillo. He's just an honest, down-to-earth uh, preacher, evangelist, and, and um, they are going to have what's called Fire and Glory at the World Equestrian Center. Uh, the lady who owns that place, the World Equestrian Center, was is so touched in her heart that we need revival and calling people back that she has opened up her place there, that she owns this, I guess, is what I'm told. And there's going to be special meetings. It's open to the public. It's free, but you have to register Sunday through Tuesday, March 19th through the 21st. And Would you gentlemen mind handing these out right here? Anybody who wants one? And uh, I don't know any more about it than what I just told you. But if you are interested and you want to, you would like to attend, and you're hungry, uh, by all means, do that. I'll probably go up and see myself what's what's going on there. So help yourself. For tonight, I want to go back to God's math, and the number six tonight has uh, been resonating with me. Number six, when we think of number six in the Bible, there's lots, lots to talk about the number six when we talk about God's math. Sometimes numbers are very significant in the Bible, and you need to pay attention, and sometimes they're not significant. So I don't want you to become superstitious about every time you see a number that it, you think one particular thing. Sometimes it just, it's just a number. And then sometimes it does mean something. And the Spirit of God can, can point that out to you. Uh, for example, uh, how many steps do we have here? One, two, three, four, five, six. Right? And down here, where we used to have a pulpit, where we originally, when we first started, we only have three. Anybody know why we have six steps? Six is the number of man. Six is the number of a man. And why do we have just three steps where the pulpit or preaching would be? Whoa, you guys are more spiritual than me. We have six steps there because that's the height we wanted it to be. And three, because I didn't want to have a number six. No, we have three because I didn't want to walk down six flights or six steps and back, back and forth because I move around. 
So I don't want you to get all crazy on me, okay, with a number. That's why. So anyway, but number six, it's interesting. Number six is a number of man. Number six has to do with flesh. And I'm going to try to prove that point to you tonight by going through the scripture. Some interesting facts. Look at this. Number six, man was created on the sixth day. Okay, that's why the man's number is number six. The average body uh, has six quarts of blood, unless you're bigger. Blood travels 12,000, uh, 12,000, is it 12,000 miles or whatever it is? Do you know, Karen? Huh? What is it? Oh, you're the medical person. You're supposed to know this stuff. Uh, uh, 60,000 miles of blood vessels is what, uh, what I read. It's like, wow, okay, in your body. 600 muscles. Look, I mean, just has to do with man. Look, six shows up with man so much. You have six primary systems, skeletal system, circulatory, muscular, nervous, digestive, and reproductive. The earth travels 1,600,000 miles in one day around the sun. That, whew, man, that ought to make you grab hold of your seat and say, I need to slow down. 66,666 miles per hour. I didn't know we were going that fast, did you? Mickey, the next time you jump over that fence out there, you better slow down, buddy. Get me a picture with you coming over the fence. That's really what I want. I want to show what we're talking about. I got the ladder, but I need a picture of you, like, crossing over, you know. Just don't get hurt. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, okay, so we know uh, God's glory number. I say glory number or number of perfection is what number? You guys know that. Number seven, okay. Six is a number of man. Man is incomplete without God. One is the number for God. God is one. And so man without God is incomplete. Are you with me? This is just numbers talking. And, and the Bible says all men have fallen short of the glory of God. Without God, we're incomplete. Would you agree? That's why you're here on Wednesday nights. You know you need God, and you need God's Word, and you need preaching and teaching and discipleship and growth. We need, we need the Lord in our life. Without the Lord, we don't have what we're supposed to be. Some other interesting number sixes in the Bible. Pharaoh, who represented Satan and, and Egypt, which represented the world. They pursued the Israelites out of uh, when they went toward the Red Sea, his Bible says, with 600 chariots. God specifically says six, he marks it down, 600 chariots, which is six is a number of flesh. 600 itself represents the full expression of satanic power that was coming against them to stop them, to come after them. Now, let me ask you a question. Think about this. Who is your greatest... Or what is your greatest opponent? Your greatest opponent? Mm 
Yeah, you guys are too smart. I got to get some people that are not as smart as you. You guys know too much. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's really true. It, it, people a lot of times will say the devil. No, the devil's not your greatest enemy. Your own flesh that you're wrapped in is your greatest enemy. Even though you're saved and your spirit is sealed, and you're not going to lose that salvation once you're born of the Spirit of God. You're wrapped in flesh that has been programmed over your lifetime to do whatever it wants to do and has appetites that it is screaming for you to fulfill. And the Bible makes that clear that this is where your battle is, okay? It's between your ears and your mind, but it's this, this flesh. And the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, For the flesh lust against the spirit. And the word lust just simply means strong desire. See, you can lust for food. And so when it says lust, it's not always sexual, but it's just saying you, the, the flesh has a strong desire against the desires of the spirit. They're, they're conflicting all the time. And the spirit against the flesh, these are contrary to one another. So you cannot do the things that you would. Then it goes on to say, but if you're led by the Spirit, you can. So the whole goal for us as Christians is to be alert and aware that our flesh is pulling on us to go in the wrong direction. It's trying to pull us down. When we get saved, that doesn't go away. I don't know about you, but when I first got saved, there was about a week there that I, man, I was walking on cloud nine. And I said out loud, I'll never sin again. Anybody else as naive as I was? I thought that. The, 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 I just had a desire for God. I was consumed in it. I was just walking at a high, high level with Him. And I, and I had no desire for the things that I used to do until about a week later. And then they showed up again. And I thought I lost my salvation. That's where the confusion comes. The devil plays with your, your confusion. Pauline, welcome back. God bless you, honey. Good to see you. That's a long trip, wasn't it? So, <clears throat> the biggest problem that anybody here has to deal with is the flesh you live in. It's trying to be your boss. And you must master it. Don't you remember in Genesis? Cain was getting angry, jealous of his brother, and angry at God because God didn't accept his offering. And God spoke to him very directly. He said, Cain, sin is crouching at the door, ready to pounce on you, but you must master it. So you had the ability to master it. He had the ability to take control over it. Okay? And so your flesh is like a giant, like when David fought Goliath. This is what the battle is like going on in there. It has very strong desires. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Y'all don't look at me like, I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Okay. Let me give you three examples, three men, men who stand out as enemies of God and his people in scripture then kind of relate this to the flesh. The first one is Goliath, the giant. 
And it's interesting, look at the number six with Goliath. He represents the flesh to us. Goliath was six cubits tall, the scripture says. That's nine foot six inches. One time when I was preaching on Goliath, David and Goliath, here in this church, I had a, a cutout of a giant, and he was nine foot six inches, so you could see how tall that was. You could relate to that. That's, that's a, some kind of basketball player there, buddy. I mean, make Shaquille O'Neal look small next to him. And uh, so Goliath, he had a spearhead, and his, with his, uh, his weapon was 600 shekels or nearly 11 pounds. Wow. He had six pieces of armor. Six. See, six keeps showing up. Represents man. This is man's best. This is good as man can get. He had a child with six fingers on each hand. Scripture bears that out. Now let me ask you a question. As a child of God, God says he gives you his armor. It's his armor. And he says, now put this armor on. How many pieces of armor does God give you? Huh? Man is number six. God's armor is perfect. Let's name it. First is the belt of truth. Scripture, the word of God is truth. The next is the breastplate of righteousness. His righteousness. We are as righteous as God. We are as righteous as Jesus Christ. We put on his breastplate of righteousness. The next piece, number three, is the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. Wherever we go, we leave footprints of the gospel. Wherever we go, we're bringing the peace, how to have peace with God to people. Okay, that's the third piece. The fourth piece, it says, above all, take up the shield of faith, whereby you can quench every fiery dart of the enemy, of the wicked one. So, the shield of faith, okay? Then it says, put on the helmet of salvation. And then it says, and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then most people don't even see the last piece as a weapon, but it is. And the last piece is right there in it. Ephesians 6, 18, prayer. Prayer is your weapon. Praying always with all prayer and supplication or petitioning God with his word in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication or petition for the saints. So prayer is a weapon. So you, you have seven pieces of armor, not six. You have seven pieces of armor that God gives you, he says, because you're going to need it to be able to stand against the wiles and the schemes and the attacks and the plans of the enemy. Now, back to three men that stand out as enemies of God and God's people. Number one was Goliath the giant. He represents, this is the best that man can do. Another man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of Babylon. Babylon represents the world and the world system. And this is what's coming against you, the world or the world system. And he also has a lot of number sixes around him, okay? He made this image of himself for people to bow down and worship, and it, had, it was 60 cubits high and 66 cubits wide. Number of men. God specifically put this in the Scripture 
for us to notice. He didn't have to put these measures, but six is there. Another great king, but was a king of, of uh, one of God's kings, was the son of King David, who was King Solomon. He started out great. He asked God for wisdom. He asked God to teach him, and God granted him wisdom and gave him ability, and God gave him instruction about things to do and things not to do. Like, don't multiply wives to yourself like the rest of the kings of the world to do. Don't do these certain things. But King Solomon, over a period of time, he deviated from the word of God and started trusting in his own reasoning and how smart he was and how intelligent he was. And it led to costly compromises, and his ending was horrible. He started out great, but he ended horrible. This was a man of God, the son of King David. Costly compromises because of the flesh. His throne just happened. I'm mentioning him because his throne is mentioned in the Bible as probably the most elaborate throne that's ever been in the world. It was a throne made of ivory that was overlaid with gold. And yet it had six steps. Number of man. Man in control. Man ruling. Man in charge. Now, the third and final figure that I want to mention tonight about uh, number six, the, we mentioned Goliath, Nebuchadnezzar, and now I want to mention the Antichrist, which is mentioned in Revelation chapter 13. And the number that the Bible gives him, you're all familiar with, the number six, six, and six. And six speaks of the pride of the flesh. I can do this. I can do it. Man in charge. Six, a double six, six and six, speaks of the pride of absolute dominion. We can do this. We're in charge. And six in triplicate represents the pride of satanic guidance. And so we see man. This, when, a, when the same number appears three times, it implies perfect completion of what that number represents. The perfect completion of flesh. This is what you get. This is the destruction. This is all the stuff. So the mark of the beast actually means flesh, 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 or man, man, man. Flesh-led people. People that are more dominated by their physical senses than being led by the Spirit. It's interesting that in John chapter 2, verse 6, the very first miracle of Jesus, the miracle of Cana, the Bible specifically mentions that the wedding of Cana, there were six water pots that Jesus turned these six pots full of water into wine. Six. It specifically mentions this is his first miracle. What is it implying? It's implying what he came to do for man. He came to make a change in man. He came to do a miracle inside of man. A picture of what he came to do to change what needs to be changed in man. Man at his best is a six. At his best. Adam, with all of his intelligence before the fall, probably used all of his brain. 
He was so brilliant that God had him name all the animals, including the insects. I mean, millions of different kinds of animals and didn't have a piece of paper or a pen to write down, but he remembered them all. He was brilliant. His IQ was probably off the charts to anybody else who's ever been compared before the fall. But still, he was still, as great as he was there before the fall, he still was short of God's glory. Not because he had sinned. He, he needed God for that completion. He needed this, this intimate relationship with God so he could be everything that God intended him to be. And so do you. You and I cannot do this thing called life without God. Man-made religion is a six. Religion without God is always a six. How many religions are there in the world? It's man trying to worship the God that he thinks exists. It's man in charge. Islam. Now next week you're going to have the privilege, I hope you'll come back to hear a brief testimony of Jim Ozturk who was a Muslim and uh, got converted. And he was on his, I don't want to tell all this story, but... Next week, you don't want to miss that. He's going to be here to share uh, his testimony. How It's amazing how from a Muslim he became a very strong evangelistic Christian and shares his faith very openly. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Israel, but if you've been to Israel, you've seen the Dome of the Rock. I'll show the picture up there. You see that. That's, that's, uh, uh, the, uh, that's called the Mosque of Omar. It's a Muslim mosque, and it's right there on the Temple Mount. I've been inside that, and you go inside that, and there is this rock, and it's it's got a um, uh, it's the most one of the most sacred places to Muslims, and uh, inside the dome of the rock, there's an it's an octagonal type structure, where you can walk around this rock. The rock is the center of that dome, and you can reach through and touch this rock that they say was the very rock that uh, uh, Muhammad ascended into heaven. And some say it's the rock that uh, Abraham sacrificed Isaac on because all that mountain range is Mount Moriah. It's not one mountain. Mount Moriah is all of that, uh, all of that range there. And it's interesting that inside this dome of the rock, that octagonal uh, surrounding measures exactly 66 feet six inches six 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 religion man you can't make this stuff up folks the great pyramid represents still the best that man can do inside the great pyramid the, the diagonal length of the antechamber or the big chamber on the inside is exactly 666 feet. Not a coincidence. Not a coincidence. There are different kinds of euro coins. I don't know if anybody ever seen a euro coin or had a euro coin. There's different kinds in, in different countries and so forth. But there's one particular one I just want to show you uh, up on the screen. And if you look closely, you can see that it has... Uh, what is it? it has uh, six um, stars and six rods and then six more stars. 
on a euro coin. Okay. Is this the mark of the beast? No, I don't think so. I think it's just a coin that's got six stars on it. Could be, but I mean, I, I don't think so. I don't want you to go fanatical with it. I want you just to pay attention and be sensitive. The Holy Spirit will point things to, things to you. The Roman numeral system, you know, you have a letter for, for what uh, certain numbers mean. And so when you look at the sum total of the Roman numeral system, you know, each one of these letters mean a certain, have a certain value. When you add all of that up, the sum just happens to be... Now, I'm going to end this tonight. I don't, I don't want you looking around at every six and thinking it's the devil. You know, you look at your driver's license and you, three, you see three sixes in there. Ah, we're all going to stay away from you. No, no, no. I just want you to be alert and be sensitive that sometimes God preaches through numbers. And when he does, he's always specific about it. And he shows us things. We need to pay attention. So we're going to close with this. Everybody stand up, please. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for your curiosity enough to come out on Wednesday night. Now, there's going to come a time, we don't know when, but one day everybody in this room is going to die. Did you say amen? amen? Unless the Lord comes back. And guess what? How many feet deep are they going to bury your body? There you go. Okay. You can keep that. <laughs> huh? Oh, you're being cremated. Okay, okay. Head burn. All right, all right. Well, let's just lift our hands and thank God for his brilliance, his genius the wonders that he makes known to us in even in numbers itself lord we just we're in awe of you god there's nothing coincidental you're a god of specifics you're a god of great detail lord you numbered the hairs on our head wow it's not hard to do for some but thank you god you're a God of detail. And help us to pay attention when you point out little details that we need to pay attention to. Thank you. Bring us back Sunday full of happiness and cheer and, and faith and hope and love for you and for one another. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here tonight. <laughs>